All right, I'm here with Sean Needham. He is the author of Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare. Sean, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, likewise. You know, I've been following you for a while. We serendipitously met through the realm of Twitter, and uh, the algorithm luckily uh, knew that I needed to find you, and then uh, I got a chance to meet you just recently, and what an awesome book, and so it's just a pleasure to actually go through this, because I think this is a crucial book at such a crucial time, and just everything that we're experiencing, so... um, Really grateful that you're here in our home here in uh, Idaho. So this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, this worked out perfect. We were headed your way anyway, and I just and we've had this podcast set up for over a month now, and it was perfect timing. So I appreciate you letting me welcome me into your home. Yeah, man. So let's jump into things. You are a compound pharmacist. That's like, correct. For people that don't know, like what is like what's what's the difference between a compound pharmacist and an actual pharmacist, and like how did how did you get here? Yeah. Well, um, a compound pharmacist is basically compound means putting two or more substances into a finalized dosage form. That's the simplest definition. So we actually, my wife also, my wonderful wife, Janet, she's also a pharmacist and we've owned Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy since 1998. And a compound pharmacist is a pharmacist that um, basically mixes our own medication. And it's actually nothing new. Um, it's actually the, the, the history of pharmacy. Um, up until the 1950s, that's what pharmacists did, is they would mix their own medications based on a doctor's prescription. And basically in the 1950s with the Legend Drug Act, Big Pharma basically hacked pharmacy and basically made pharmacists into mostly dispensers of medication. So mm. that's why most pharmacists just count and pour pills and put them in a bottle. And they collect copays for insurance companies. That's not very rewarding for Janet and I. It wasn't, so we want to do something different. So we actually mix our own medications, um, customize for each individual patient. Um, and over the last few years, we've really focused on hormone replacement, health and wellness, and hormone replacement is what we mostly do. Okay, I love that. Give me an example of like the compounding because when I think about it, I, it reminds me of like an alchemist or something like You're back right. in the day and you guys are like creating your own potions and your own herbs and like actually we're going to give you a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah. And so kind of explain, like give me an example of some, uh, maybe like an example of compounding that, you know, somebody might come see you or, and also because you're, you're kind of working and from what I understand, you're working hand in hand with a lot of these uh, functional medicine docs or even DCP docs, which we're going to get into. And so there's a nice relationship between, it seems like you guys have a nice relationship where you can go back and forth and it's respectful. Like, Hey, what's going on with the patient? It sounds like this. How can we both co, uh, cohesively or co-create with this patient the best outcome? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that, that, that you, you actually summed it up right there. I mean, we, as a pharmacist, we work with a, with a prescriber, um, and a patient. That's there's there's a there's a triage. It's a triangle where there's a patient, prescriber, and pharmacist involved. And we work close with the prescriber to ask about lab results, um, ask about symptoms and history, and we talk with the patient about that. And then we create a customized solution for them. Um, and so we work very closely with with our prescribers. That's one of the things we love is that we build relationships with our prescribers and our patients, which you don't really get to do in traditional pharmacy. Um, and the, you kind of mentioned about the alchemy. Maybe not alchemy, but there's a lot of chemistry involved. That's that's what we went to school for. As pharmacists, we go to school to use our, our, our chemistry and biology background. And in a traditional pharmacy, you, you don't get hardly any of that. I mean, you're, you're largely just a, you know, dispenser of medications for big pharma. And this is what I say, and I say it 
I say this with um, kind of tongue in cheek, but but it's a lot of truth is that you're basically a dispenser of um, poisons for big pharma and collectors of copays for insurance companies. Um, and that's we didn't want to do that. So a typical, let's just say it. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of, of what we could do is a uh, doctor calls up. Um, has a patient that has, well, we'll say a male patient, 52-year-old male patient, has a um, low testosterone. Uh, check the low testosterone. has a lot of symptoms of low testosterone, whether it be decreased libido, weight gain, depression, erectile dysfunction, um, decreased energy, uh, high cholesterol, all things of low, to, low symptoms of low testosterone. Um, we'll get the number and whether, even if it's in the normal range, but maybe low normal range, um, we'll consult with the doctor and the patient and, um, you know, decide what, what the dose of testosterone should be and where, where his level should be. Um, so we would, we, we take raw testosterone powder. We, we buy it in huge bulk because that's one of our most popular prescriptions. So we have I bet. Big, big we have an epidemic of infertility, and we could talk about that too, infertility epidemic and, and just T, male T, just dropping. I mean, at, at, at extraordinary rates way before it's ever than we've ever seen in history so yeah. well and way before expected you know jen and i've been doing this for 25 years now and you know 20 years ago you know we would see males their testosterone levels would start dropping when they're in their 20s i mean this I'm is sorry, 25 in, years. in their 40s okay yeah yeah now we see it regularly in their 20s i mean yeah. you know a, a guy is 20 some years old and he and he comes to you with low testosterone and he's got the low testosterone symptoms and, and of course you know, one of the things is, is that, you know, if you lead a sedentary lifestyle, if you have a poor diet, um, you know, that those are things that's not conducive to a high testosterone level. Testosterone is meant to make us vital as men, energy, sex, things like that, which are good things. And so if you're sitting on the couch, you know, drinking wine and eating Cheetos and um, your body says, well, you don't need any testosterone. So that, that's a whole topic for a whole other yeah. podcast um, because in, in young males, that's a big problem. So Huge. we're seeing a lot more of that. So what we would do in this 52-year-old male is we would, you know, take testosterone, put it um, in a cream mixture. Um, we also use some solvents and some emulsifiers so that testosterone stays um, in in the emulsion and we have a big uh, mixer that we mix up the testosterone and so it's homogeneously mixed and then we put it into a pump where it delivers you know a certain dose of testosterone and then they apply uh, apply that testosterone um, personally so that that's kind of what we do and and we absolutely love it um you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of pharmacists that don't like what they do. And that's, you know, Janet and I, 20 years ago, we made a decision. Either we change our profession or we change what we do. And we absolutely love what we do. We have a passion for it. We believe it's our purpose. And we have no intentions of retiring anytime. Um, as long as, 
you know, God willing that we can still physically work because we, we love it. We absolutely love what we do. That is something I would, I, I, I see from, you guys are constantly on Twitter and, and just, I see you're all over the place traveling and doing stuff. And I really do get that from you. It's like, we are just loving life. And uh, the fact that you can do what you love, but also travel and do all these things and, and touch so many people, but love what you're doing. Like that is that the joy that you express just so through social media, you can absolutely see that in your passion. And, run. and I love that you were able to um, find a way to, you realize, man, there's a crossroads here. I don't like what I'm doing. I, I love the profession that I'm in, but I just don't love the way it's set up. How can I still love what I'm doing? You asked a good question. Most people just get defeated, but you asked a powerful question. How can I love what I'm still doing, but make change? And I and the way, the model that you have created is inspirational, because I've talked to actually lots of pharmacists and people that and I'm sure you have too, that are asking you, hey, what do I do? Yeah. Or they're starting to figure out, and I've heard this so many times, by the way. Did this occur to you at all? Were people telling you this? I've, have, I've come across lots of amazing doctors and they were when they get into this either their doctorate school or pharmacy school they're like i'm going to change the world and this is what i want to do and they've got teachers and professors like immediately going get out of this profession you don't want to do it. all you're going to be is be a pharma pusher and they're like wait what and so did you have a mentor or anybody like that who said something to you similar and that you're like man i got to i'm going to i don't know what that means yet cuz i'm not in it but let me let me think about that and did that change? Yeah, I, I, you know, I did. Early on in my uh, career, I interned at a small pharmacy in Moses Lake, my hometown. Um, and his name was Jack Black. And he practiced pharmacy from, I would imagine, he started in the late 40s, maybe early 50s. Um, so he knew when it was different. And, you know, he didn't, at the time, that was in the 90s, he didn't like the direction that it was going. And so, yeah, he was a mentor, you know, he was also an entrepreneur, owned his own pharmacy. And he, um, so I did get some of that from him. But I, I would say a lot of the motivation, um, you know, came from my wife, Janet, mm. because, you know, um, I was kind of a little bit disenfranchised and a little bit scared and disappointed in 1994, I think, before I graduated. Janet was already a pharmacist and she'd been practicing a year or so. And, I mean, she basically let me know that she didn't like what she was doing, and I didn't know if she, and she didn't know how much longer she could do it. Wow. She was in a in a you know in a poor work situation, although it was a common work situation for most pharmacists. And you know, so here I am, I'm about ready to graduate, and I'm all gung ho to graduate, and I'm like, whoa. So I knew early on, even though it took us four or five years, about four years to open our own pharmacy, I knew early on that I don't think I'm going to be able to do that for the rest of my life. So I, I got to, I got to attribute that to, to, to Janet, um, because she was a big inspiration and a big team player with which it, it was easier for us to do it together than it would have been individually. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk. Okay. So in your book, Sickened, let's, let's talk about how we got here because what I love about it is the book outlines how we got here, but there's also the solution, which we'll get into. So how, how did we get into this? It's not, it's not obvious, actually. I, I was surprised. I had my own biases of probably how we got here, but it, it wasn't so obvious to me in the way you laid it out. So how did we get here, and uh, how did this all come about? So, um, yeah, so how did we get there? There, there? There's basically some, you know, when I first started writing the book, so first of all, the book was, 
you know, 20 years in the making and five years in the writing, 20 years in the thinking, five years in the, in the, in the writing. And I've been thinking about a lot of these things for years and I would always, you know, regurgitate them, you know, vocally. Um, but I thought, you know, it's, it's time to put it down on paper. And that was a lot more, being a pharmacist and not a writer, that was a lot more difficult than, than, than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And that's why I did have to hire somebody to, to help me write the book. And she did an amazing job. She still works for us, and, and, it's, and she's amazing. Um, so when I first started thinking about it, I, I went back. Because I, I, I've, I've always been, you know, realized that, you know, the, the government is what screws a lot of things up in our life. And and I'm a, I'm a big. This is just after we came out of two to three years of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah. and I, I I wrote the book. It came out in 2018. Sorry, 19. I wrote it in 2018, and, and it, we released it in 2019, right before the pandemic. It's perfect timing. I yeah. don't believe in coincidences. And um, when I started putting stuff down on paper, I started thinking, you know. Uh, so when did this all go awry? And I and I you know of course the first thing people think of well is Obamacare screwed up, screwed up healthcare. Well, true it made it worse, but you have to go further back than that. So Obamacare was you know in I think it got passed in 2012, 10 or twelve it went into law somewhere around that area. Um, but you know you got to go further back than that. Um, you got to go back to Medicare. Um, Medicare is in nineteen sixty four. Um, you know, and some people say, well, Medicare is good. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't want to, we can't live without Medicare. Well, we lived on Medicare for most of our country's lives. It's only, um, history. It's only been around about 70 years. And when you look at what happened when Medicare came out, it ruined healthcare. This is a huge point in the book. Yeah. Because, and, and I do want to ask you some questions about that because even me, um, you know, former government worker, police officer, mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a family. We always had Kaiser. We always had some type mm-hmm. of insurance. And even the idea of losing my job in the last couple of years, oh my God, what are you going to do without insurance? We have to have right. health insurance. It's scary not to right. go to go around in this world and live without insurance. So I do want to pick your brain with that. But yeah, go on and talk about this whole idea of, yeah, the Medicare and Medicare. Yeah, so you know when Medicare came out, and this is in my book, um, within a few years – nursing home utilization because Medicare pays for nursing homes somewhat. Medicaid also does. That's another thing that was piggybacked off Medicare is Medicaid, which is Medicaid. The difference between Medicaid and Medicare is Medicare is all federally funded. It's actually all taxpayer funded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember, the government doesn't have money. They only steal it from us. Yes, I do believe that taxation is theft. I'm not saying I don't pay my taxes and I'm not saying that it's not necessary possibly, but anytime you've involuntarily take money from somebody, it is theft. So um, Medicare is federal dollars. Medicaid is uh, federal and state dollars. So state Medicaids are different based on state. Um, And usually Medicaid is based on um, an income level or some other issues, whereas Medicare, you qualify based on your age. Although that's one of the problems with government programs is that they always change them. So now there's, you know, here's one of the problems with Medicare is that now people that have disability, which if you're a drug addict, you can qualify for Medicare on disability when you're 25 years old. Mm. That is obviously not something that we really meant 
that was meant to happen initially when Medicare was passed. That's part of the problem with these government programs is they just they never end and they just keep getting bigger. So, but the increasing utilization of nursing home increase was seven hundred percent. In, in the 1960s after Medicare was passed, after a few years. So utilization went up. Obviously, prices went up. You know, when, when there's a third party involved and the consumer's not paying for it, it's much easier to charge basically whatever you want, you know. Um, and, and, and that happened. And so now here we are, you know, 70 years later. But let's go back a little bit when you talk about health insurance in general. So that was the first federal program, big federal program when it came to health care. But we got to go back even, you know, 30 years before that. And Medicare could have never, ever passed if it wasn't for Social Security in the first place. Because Social Security and programs like that in the 1930s under FDR were, they were, many times there were programs like that that were ruled, un, ruled unconstitutional by the courts. Because there is nowhere, there is nowhere in our U.S. Constitution where it says the federal government has the power to um, take care of our health care, to take care of our retirement, which is basically what Social Security and Medicare are. So the only reason Medicare passed is because FDR packed the courts in the 1930s with um, political um, cronies of his on the courts that let Social Security pass. I still believe Social Security is unconstitutional. There's nowhere in the Constitution where it says that our government should have a program where they steal money from us um, to give to us at our retirement. And it's a bad program. It's the biggest Ponzi scheme ever, ever under the history of man. We'd be much better off taking our own money and not letting the government squander it. But Medicare could have never note, passed without Social Security first back yeah. in the 30s. So go you ahead. mentioned on the book, and you know I haven't done too much of a deep dive on social security or even really thought too much about it. But I think some people, they might hear you saying, oh my God, what, Sean, what are you talking about? Like, this is a good thing. What about when you get old, Sean, and you're 80 and you can't, don't, don't we need this? Um, and what, what, what do you say to that? Or even better, like, what could people do in their own, to the, maybe their own research? Someone like me who doesn't know, where can I go? Where should I learn more about this? So I, I did the math. It's been a few years since I've done the math. Um, so I'm, I'm, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, you know, um, use some easy numbers. Yeah. And good. We um, like that here. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to med when it comes to Social Security being a po why we need why we don't need Social Security why we'd be better off by ourselves. So first of all, the the average person is is going to if you work over a 40 year period and you pay um if you look you're in, you pay 7.5% you and your employer pays 7.5% that's 15% of your income so you know the social security that you're going to get a month let's just say it's i, I don't even know the numbers Let, let's just make up a number yeah. let's say it's you know, oh, well, I, I, this is great. And I, and I hear it people all the time. I'm, I'm going to max out my social security and I'm going to get $2,000 a month or $3,000 a month, whatever it is. Well, guess what? If you took that money, that 15% of your income, and you invested it over a 40-year period, you would have millions and millions of dollars, literally. You know, if, it's, if you put it away and it's compounded interest in the S&P 500, you would... Um, like stocks, you would have millions of dollars. So it's a Ponzi scheme. Again, you know, and then they're taking our money to spend right now. They're not taking it to save us for us later. So you got to think, is it really going to be available later? So in general, you would be better off 
Yeah. You know, and then you don't have to rely on the government to give you whatever they say they're going to give you. And it even says on your social security thing, these are not guaranteed. This is what you we expect you to make, you know, when you retire or whatever, but these are not guaranteed. Wouldn't you rather be in control of that? Yeah. So, and we can get specifically in that with healthcare too. Um, let's talk about, you're talking about health insurance in general. Let's talk about where that started out. This was very eye-opening in the book. I thought this was powerful. A lot of people don't realize this, but in the 1940s, um, during World War II, again, a wonderful president, FDR, we are still paying for the things that, the bad decisions that he made, um, you know, a hundred years ago almost. Um, In the 1940s, uh, the war, we, we had World War II going on. It was busy. Our economy was booming. And prices were going up and wages were going up. So what's the government do? What's FDR do? He does an executive decision. This is in my book specifically um, what one it was, an executive order to um, put a wage freeze on wages. So what does that mean? The government arbitrarily says, okay, you work XYZ job as a as a factory worker in a car on an assembly line, or you're a pharmacist, so and so this is how much you can make per hour or per week or whatever. They put a wage freeze on it. So obviously the auto industry was booming because they were making tanks and airplanes. And so General Motors, the only way they could get another employee from like Ford is they couldn't say, well, I can't pay anymore because they couldn't. It, it was illegal. So Which they, is crazy. To it, me. it is crazy. When, when it, I can't even. I didn't even know this happened. I'm like, yep. wait. I thought we said democracy and capitalism. <laughs> right. What do you? Wait. What? Right. And so, so, um, what they said is, well, you can come to work for us. Now we can't give you any more money because the government told us how much we can pay you. But we've got this great thing called hospital insurance. So if you have a baby or you have appendicitis and you go into the hospital, this insurance will will cover that. Wow. That's awesome. This is great. So that was one of the starts of the first employer-sponsored health care. And let's, let's go on the definition of that hospital insurance. Um, it was based on hospitals, you know, and more major stuff. It wasn't meant to, hey, I need to go to the doctor today and I need to check my blood pressure. It wasn't meant for those kind of things, but but what 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 has our healthcare been relevant um, relegated to nowadays? Everything that somebody goes in for, you know, well, I get getting my eyes checked. Um, my insurance should cover that. I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. My insurance should cover that. And we wonder why, you know, premiums are fifteen hundred bucks a month. You know, those those routine things were not meant to be covered by health insurance. I mean, let, let's compare it to auto insurance. I mean. When we go get new tires on our car, our auto insurance doesn't cover that. Our auto insurance covers our car if we're wrecked or we're injured. That's what insurance should be for. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's come to the fact with health insurance, it's just every little thing you go in for. So why is it, you know, 500 bucks to go see a doctor when it should be, you know, 80 bucks? Well, because insurance is involved. You bill a third party. The, the, the patient isn't paying the bill. Now... There is some instances where we have free market healthcare, like DPC, like you alluded to, direct primary care, where you pay the doctor directly, and it's much more affordable because there's no insurance involved. Yeah, you you talk about you talk about in the book to these examples of that I love. So that's how we got here. But you also give these examples of 
you know, you go to the doctors and you because we have health insurance and they can't tell you the price of these procedures. And you have a great example even with Janet and uh, just, you know, I think it was a colon cancer screening or even a surgery. And, you know, you go to the Western doc with there has health insurance and how much, okay, how much is this? I'll pay for it right now. We don't know. And I love this because you give an example, even like, imagine if you were to go get your car tires or like you said, changed and you go, okay, great. Well, I'm going to pay for that. How much does it cost? You know, we go there and they tell us it's $400 for your tires change. Could you imagine going to get your car's tires changed and they go, we don't know, um, but we'll tell you when it's all done and we'll, we'll figure it out. So talk about, maybe even talk about a little about Janice's story and just, because yeah. I think it's such a great illustration of the absurdity and then you had, and, and you have such a great example of going through insurance, the traditional, so-called traditional way, and then paying out of pocket on your own. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. Um, and it is in my book. Uh, right before Obamacare... Well, right after Obamacare was passed, we knew we needed to do something different. It's like we're not going to pay $1,500 a month for our entire family when we're healthy. We don't go to the doctor a lot. Um, so we need to figure out something different. But so right before we canceled Obamacare, Janet has a strong history of, of colon cancer in her family. Um, people dying in their, I think, late 30s, early 40s, early 40s for sure, maybe late 30s. So she, when she was 40 years old, she wanted to get... Um, a colon cancer screening done. And um, I think it was the second one where she was in the, had the story in my book. So the first one went, went okay. We were, we were paying cash because our insurance didn't cover preventative stuff the first time. Second time, we're like, well, before we go to a health sharing ministry, which we were going to Samaritan Ministries, we're going to pay them um, for our health insurance. And it's really not health insurance. Um, but it's a it's it's a um, health sharing plan where people from all over the world share our health our, our our healthcare expenses. Well, before we go to that, you know, because of Obamacare, preventative medicine is covered. Let's go in and get your colon cancer screening done, get your colonoscopy done um, before we drop our insurance. And of course, we go into the hospital. They have no idea what it's gonna what it's gonna be. We call that what we call that in in free market medicine is lack of transparency, lack of transparency in pricing. Anytime somebody hides a price from you or they don't know a price, for, they don't know a price, I mean, you should run. I mean, you, you would never go into a hotel and, hey, how much is the hotel tonight? Well, we don't know. We'll send you a bill in six months, right? But that's what happens in healthcare and we're okay with it. We wouldn't be okay in any other industry. We shouldn't in healthcare. You should always ask about the pricing. They didn't know how much it was going to be. Um, and, 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 you know, mind you, too, that, you know, Jan and I are pharmacists, so we know the system. We can work the system better than, better than an average layperson, and, and I feel mm -hmm. for them, and that's one of the goals that we have writing the book and, and you know, having our podcast is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And that doesn't mean just physically and mentally, but also financially. You know, they've got to have skin in the game. So... She did her prep and everything, which if you know anything about colon um, um, oscopies, the prep is the, one of the worst parts. The procedure doesn't usually take that long. Um, the prep is one of the worst parts. She was scheduled to go in at 6 o'clock in the morning. I dropped her off in the morning, and um, they kept putting her off and putting her off. Local public hospital. Um, and they kept putting her off and putting her off. And 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock rolls around. They said, well, ma'am, you're just going to have to come back later. We, we, we can't get you in today. We've just had too many, you know, too many um, 
I don't know if they call them emergencies or what, but here's my opinion about the whole thing. It's just, it's typical government-run healthcare. And it's, you know, here's one of the things when we, when we look to our insurance to pay our bills. You get more expensive pricing, you get poor service, and you get poor quality. Yep, I said it all. And mostly in, you know, we, we hear in the retail sector, we hear, okay, I can give you two of the three, price, quality, and service. You pick which ones you want. And in general, in most free market exchanges, there's a little bit of truth to that. You know, as quality goes down, or as price goes down, quality might go down, and service might go down. As service goes up or quality goes up, price goes up probably. But in healthcare, you can get better quality, better service, and better price, all three of them, if you pay cash, okay? So six o'clock rolls around. She's been there sitting there for 12 hours, hasn't eaten, had the prep, all that. Well, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. And Janet, being savvy like she is and knowing the system and just not ready to take no, that's just, that's just, you know, that's just her personality anyway. She says, uh, no, you're not. You are going to work me in today. You're going to get this. I, I took a day off work. I did the prep. You're going to get me in today. Imagine, Joel, if that was your average lay patient, they just, well, I, I guess I'll just come back tomorrow. Imagine how much that would cost them, mm. you know, in productivity, in another day off. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible what our system does to people. And, and that's largely because of insurance. And, um, you know, in a free market system, that wouldn't work. So anyway, she goes in. They, they get it done. And um, largely without, without complications. And um, then, of course, we have no idea what the bill is going to be. We have no idea what the bill is going to be. Um, later on, we found out that it was like $5,500. And it was great. But don't worry, Sean. You have insurance. That's right. <laughs> right. Insurance covered like $2,200. We've only got to pay 3000 Yes. I'm so glad I have insurance. Man, we got great insurance. Of course, we realized what a joke that was, what a ripoff it was. Fast forward three to five years later, I can't remember, when we have a health sharing ministry, um, we find, you know, through our local connections of DPC doctors, hey, where's the best place to get a colonoscopy? Oh, you need to go to this place. So we called them up and they said, well, how much is it going to be? They said, it's going to be 1100 bucks. And well, does that include everything? Because here's another thing about, about other things in healthcare. We call it surprise bills. You know, you get a bill from the hospital, the doctor, the radiology, the lab, you get all these surprise bills. It's like, it's not all inclusive. Um, so you got to ask, $1,100, is that everything? Yep, that's all inclusive, Mr. Needham. Okay. So we, in that situation, we brought her in there and I dropped her off at like seven o'clock in the morning. I, I was in the waiting room with her. I dropped her off like seven o'clock in the morning. They wheeled her back and I went out to my car and I was going to, because I was asking for about payment. And they said, yeah, it'd be $1,100. And I said, well, let me go get my payment. And, and then I was doing some stuff in my car, just some quick work stuff on my phone or whatever. And I came back in, like li literally, like 15 or 20 minutes later, I, I paid the bill. It was all, all done. I sat down and, they said, and the nurse comes out from the back. It's like 20 minutes after she went back. She said, um, Mr. Needham, your wife's ready. Oh, okay. This is like 15, 20 <laughs> minutes later. So... Uh, I'm like, wow. I mean, it kind of surprised me. And so I went back with there. I went back and the doctor talked to her. 
um, and let her know how things were and when to follow up. And, and before in the other situation, we didn't hear anything about what, how the procedure went until I think months later, maybe weeks later, they sent her a report or something. Mm. And, um, we were actually able, it was about an hour and a half away from home. We were, we were back home. I mean, think about this. We had to drive one and a half hours each way. And we were back home by 10 o'clock in the morning. And yet, when she had the procedure right down the road from us at our local hospital, they couldn't get it done in 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And their price was five times as much. So the service was worse. I could argue the quality was worse. I'm sure if I went into some detail, I could figure out why. Well, the quality, because the surgeon didn't come out and talk to us afterwards or her. And um, and, and I don't necessarily blame him. It's, it's part of the system. Um, and because of insurance, they're allotted like 15 minutes exactly. per person. And they're just exactly. like, they have to hurry, hurry, exactly. hurry. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't blame him personally. I get it. Cause, but I will say that one of the fixes is that doctors need to get out of the system. Yeah. And, and we can talk about that with DPC. Um, so yeah, the service is better. The quality was better. The price was better. So this insurance that we were paying $1,500 a month for to, so we could have preventative coverage, um, that ended up when we paid, we had to pay three thousand dollar copay out of pocket. We paid cash for it for eleven hundred bucks. And there, I, there's so many examples like that. Yeah, and I and you even gave a great example too with your son, and and he needed he broke his wrist, I believe, and he needed um, to have surgery. And the first Western doc, if you want to call it that, you go to him through the typical channels of health insurance, and he's like, well, he's going to need surgery and he's going to need a pin in his wrist. And, you know, we know that that could be a solution, but it, it could, the pin could also cause further issues right. in mobility down the line. You go through your health ministries and uh, that doctor says, no, nah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can just adjust this and we'll, we'll do a different procedure and it doesn't need a pin. And I didn't even think why, but you mentioned in the book, you go, the reason the other doctor most likely wanted the pin was because a pin is going to chart is going to cost $30,000 or something. Behind the scenes as the patient, I don't know that. I yep, don't know right. why would – I'm assuming you're my doctor. You're going to give me the best – you want to do what's in my best interest. It is frightening to me to think, no, they're actually not. Most of them in, in the Western system, not all of them, but most of them are being – are thinking about, well, this pin's going to be 30K, and I, that's going to be good for our our bottom line, I guess. It's shocking to me. And then the other thing I wanted to highlight – is that also as a consumer who's been brought up in the model of insurance, I would be scared to get off of insurance because immediately I'm thinking, but Sean, that's going to cost $30,000. I don't have 30K. That's why I need insurance. Yeah. Your book outlines, no, that, that most of these procedures aren't that expensive. Yep. It's only in the... I'm just going to call... I don't know what a better phrase is other than the Western world where these prices are hidden because... And again, it's not free. I didn't even, I never thought about this. The taxpayer is paying it. You're paying it indirectly. Absolutely. It's yeah. frightening. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you, you hit on a lot of things there. So, so first of all, um, insurance is what makes healthcare expensive. Most routine healthcare, if you pay for it cash, is not expensive. And even some emergency stuff. And since I wrote the book, I can tell you the story about my youngest son that broke his leg. Hmm. I'll tell you that story. Um, and... Yes, I think 
partly is is that our government wants us to believe healthcare is expensive and nobody can afford it because then they pay for it and then they can control us. Yep. And then um, the media is bad about it too. And, and, and a lot of times people are just uneducated. They don't know it. That's why I'm here. That's why I wrote a book. That's why I have a podcast. I want to educate people that they need to take charge of their own health and that includes financial. And, and yes, will doctors put a pin in somebody's wrist just to make money? Absolutely. We see it all the time when, when doctors do unnecessary surgeries. Like, like for instance, um, somebody's 100 pounds overweight and they need um, a knee replacement. Guess what? If they lost weight, they wouldn't need a knee replacement. Sean Baker, he's an orthopedic surgeon who's been on our podcast. You might know him from the carnivore diet. Um, and he, he promotes the carnivore diet. As an orthopedic surgeon, he started recommending um, people change their diets and uh, mostly keto. Then he went carnivore years later. And he, um, after people changed their diet, they didn't need surgery. So he did what? actually, yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, and he, this is on my podcast. He said this, that 85% of all orthopedic surgeries are unnecessary because people could change their diet and fix them. 85%. Wow. And, and, and so that's mostly a routine stuff, hips, shoulders, because a lot of times people have inflammation or whatever, and it's not just about weight. A lot of times it is about weight, but it's about inflammation. They change their diet, and then those go away. Now, so really, if you think about it, 70 years ago, Joel, the people that need orthopedic surgery, like my son, my, my, my son um, in the middle of COVID br- broke his leg, compound, compound fracture on his tibia. Sure, he needed surgery. Yeah. That's what it used to be. It used to not be because you know you've walked around a hundred pounds overweight for the last twenty years of your life. You need two knees. That's not what it used to be. But now, because of insurance, people actually they don't have skin in the game. I, oh, I don't care. I don't need to take care of myself because my insurance will cover it. What, what if it didn't cover it? They're like, well, holy crap! I guess I better lose weight mm. I, or not be able to walk. You know, whichever. So that that's that's part of it. And and let's just let's make this clear too, with insurance with public insurance government insurance versus private insurance people say well i've got kaiser or i've got united or i've got premier blue cross so i don't have government insurance no you do there is no such thing as insurance anymore without being government insurance and here's why after obamacare passed the government is so deep into regulating what insurances can pay for at what price it's government insurance so if you're in traditional insurance, you're in government insurance, and the government controlling your health care, period. I really honestly believe that, and the only way to liberate yourself from that system is go into a health share. Um, so speaking of health share, when we talk about expense, I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, um, how our health share worked with my second son when he had a typical, you know, my first son breaks his wrist um, snowboarding. My second son, he breaks in the middle of COVID. He breaks his tibia, jumping a, an irrigation canal, comes up a little bit short because my oldest son yelled at him right before. So he hesitated. Oh my God. Yeah. He sounds, or like, he my cl- right? he sounds I, like my life when I have two boys. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You got it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you have boys, you understand of course, Janet, I was out of town and Janet was freaking out. And of course, the first thing I'm thinking, because I'm talking to Jordan and they have him drugged up a little bit. I'm like, I'm like, well, did you make it? And he goes, well, I, I crawled up out of the canal by myself. I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> boy. And Janet's just freaking out. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. everything was, you know, um, I can't. I can't um, talk bad about the care he got, but he went to, you know, compound fracture of the left tibia, upper left tibia. So bone sticking out. Um, had an ambulance ride. You know, if Janet and I were there, we probably would have 
my oldest son kind of freaked out and called the ambulance. I, I, probably what he should have done. If Jan and I were there, we could have probably called everybody down. It's like, look, you know, he's conscious. He's a healthy kid. If you can help us put him in the back of the car, we'll, we'll transport him ourselves, right? Yeah. So we um, – so they, they took him by ambulance. Janet then finds out and meets him down there. And um, I, she calls me. I'm out of town on business. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, ah, I don't want to go to the local hospital. I, I want to go to the surgery center of Oklahoma. How can we get in there? And, and Janet's like, Sean – the bone is sticking out of his leg. We can't travel to Oklahoma, okay? Because <laughs> I wanted I wanted a free market. Of course. Somebody where I knew it was going to be what the price was, and um, I had control over that. But this is happening in Washington State. Correct. Yeah. It's happening okay. in Washington so, yeah. State. Oklahoma right? is a little in, in bit our, of a ride, yeah. In a, yeah, right, yeah. In, our, in, our in our local community. And um, so they, they take him to surgery, and um, – and, and everything everything was great. You know, healthy kid. He recovers well. And, of course, then, you know, we want to know what the price is. They don't know. And they'll send us bills. And so we get, you know, bills from lab. We get bills from the doctor. The doctor worked for the hospital. So, but it's a separate bill. We get a hospital bill. We get a radiology bill. I'm probably missing some. All total. You know, we had no idea. So you get out of there and it's like, you know, Jan and I are thinking, we have a health stream ministry, so we know it's going to be covered. We get that. And I'll, and I'll tell you how that works uh, later on in the story. But, um, but you know, I mean, and you think about that. It's why people are scared. It's why, and I think in some ways, the hospitals and the system like people to be fearful because then it keeps them entrapped in this insurance system. And, and the hospitals have created a cartel with insurance companies to rip off the consumer. Yes, I said it. I think whether they're public, private, nonprofit, um, or profit, Hospitals are, in general, evil places. They, are, they have made a cartel in collusion with healthcare insurance to rip you off, the consumer. So we get all the bills together, and it was $48,000. Uh, he was there less than 12, about 12 hours. They didn't really have to keep him overnight, but they did, and it was... And they tried to charge an overnight stay, like for an inpatient. I had to fight that and say, no, he wasn't inpatient. It was all outpatient. And here, Jen, I know the system, so we can do this. Yeah. So one of the first things we did is, oh, well, I want an itemized bill. They said, well, we can't give that to you. I'm like, oh, oh, you can and you will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So that's another thing, consumers. Make sure you get an itemized bill from your hospital, even if they're billing insurance. Get it. And so there were some things on that bill that were just out of, out, outlandish. Uh, one of the things... I think they charged us. It was either $19 or $38 for one tablet of hydrocodone slash acetaminophen, which is also known as Vicodin. It was either $19 or $38. Either way, ridiculous, mm. right? For one pill. Well, yeah, right, right. And um, so all the bills add up to $48,000. I, I, call, I call the hospital, and I get on the phone with their billing system. And, and, I mean, and they are just... You know, first of all, they, they, they ask, well, what's your, what's your insurance? Like, well, we don't have insurance. Well, we'll be paying or we have a health stream ministry. And they're like, oh, what do you mean you don't have insurance? And the first thing they want to do, they want to sign you up for state Medicaid. It's like, no, I, I can pay this bill, okay? I'm going to take care of this, all right? Which is, it's insulting for them to do that, right? And then they even played some games afterwards because Jordan was 18, but he was under, we were the guarantor. We, he was under our care mm -hmm. and under our health stream ministry. Um they started sending him bills and they started sending him information about signing up for Medicaid. I mm. mean, 
they wanted to sign him up for Medicaid so they could keep ripping off the system. And of course, Jordan's calling us. He's 18 years old at the time. And he's, I'm just like, Jordan, do, do not respond to them. I said, any bill you get, anything you get, you send it to us and I will take care of it. It was just a complete nightmare. I had to go round and round with him. And um, so I negotiate with him. And our health stream ministry, I sent them all the bills and they were going to um, reimburse us. And part of the deal is we have a $5,000 um, deductible. It's not insurance, so it's really not a deductible. A $5,000 deductible on our plan. Um, but if we negotiate any kind of discount, that goes against our deductible. So I negotiated with the hospital. And in the meantime, I, I did some research. I'm like, I talked to a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Keith Smith from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I said, Dr. Smith, how much would it be uh, compound fracture tibia and you have to put a, uh, a plate or a plate in. He said, well, we don't like to quote the hardware before the day of because that changes like by the day, I guess. So he said, but in general, the hardware is going to be about $2,000 and the surgery $6,000. I said, is that everything? He goes, yeah, that's anesthesia. That's everything. Um, operating time, surgeon's fee. So Surgery Center of Oklahoma, the same surgery, $8,000. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And this is what people need to understand. So $48,000 bill, if you've got what you call good insurance and it's private insurance, most people pay a 20% copay. What's 20% of $48,000? $9,000. Okay, so your 20% copay would have been more than what you went to pay cash at Surgeon of Oklahoma. We see that all the time. Mm -hmm. So I negotiate a discount with the hospital. They, they, they say they're doing a favor for me because they don't really have to do this. And it's like, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And always ask for a cash discount. And if you have, especially in Washington State, you have a health sharing ministry, don't tell them. Tell them your self-pay. Because in Washington State, where it's a bunch of communists, they've made a law, the, the hospital lobby made a law that if you have a health sharing ministry, they can't give you a discount which is ridiculous. So I work with the health share ministry. They approved all the bills. They said, well, we're, we're ready to pay. And I'm like, I'm not done yet negotiating. After this whole ordeal, I got a 20% discount, which ends up being like, I think I had to pay $39,000 or $38,000, something like that, about a $9,000 discount. So my $5,000 copay gets waived. Um, and I, I, um, so once I negotiate that with the hospital, my copay gets waived. Um, within seven days, I have a $38,000 check um, in my hand that the health sharing ministry, um, Christian Healthcare, sent me to pay the entire hospital bill. And I negotiated with the hospital a monthly payment plan. Yeah. Um, I said, what's the longest I can pay this off without paying any interest? They said, oh, we have a 12-month payment plan. It's like $3,000 a month or something. I'm like, okay, cool. But in the meantime, I got, a, I got the full check. Well, they found that out and they got mad. They said, well, we want you to pay us right away now because you got a check. That's no fair. And I'm like, isn't this what you negotiated with me? This is the kind of people they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine doing that. You know, imagine that's, that's our money, not yours. Right. But we agreed on this, like a I, bank I, would with a loan. Or I, imagine yeah. imagine yeah. that with your house. Yeah. If yeah. the bank says, well, you just came into some money, we should, you should pay us off early. It's, it's ridiculous. They're, they're cartels. They're, they're evil. And so anyway, that's how the health stream industry worked. We ended up paying nothing out of pocket. And, um, you know, we ended up, because we could negotiate a discount, um, we did, um, 
and we had control of our healthcare. Now, and in in the future, you know, we we couldn't electively pick that place because it was a it was an emergent thing. But in the future, with elective things, we pick where we go, and we know the price ahead of time. So that's the beauty of having a health stream ministry. Yeah, and and basically, your monthly fees come from all over the country from people that are members, and that money goes in to pay your bills when you have some. It worked out beautifully. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's what I want to transition to now too is solutions because I remember when the pandemic hit and uh, several of us, you know, my former career as a law enforcement officer being fired. And I remember talking to other officers at the time and they, they were asking for me for advice. And I, and they, I remember one time a guy said uh, he was actually moving to Florida cause he lost his job and he goes, Joel, what are you going to do? Uh, but like things like life insurance, I'm, I'm not life insurance, uh, healthcare. And I asked him, I said, Hey, um, I said, cause he has, a, he had a younger, he has three kids and he has a younger kid. And he goes like, what about like the regular checkups? And I go, Hey man, on those checkups, I'm like, what are they even doing? What? Let me hold on. Uh, checking his circumference of his head, measuring his weight, telling you that he's in the normal 95%. I'm like, not, there's nothing really going on. Like, you don't need that. I, I mean, I, I get it. And, I, and again, it goes back to the fear of knowing. And when I told him that, this was just a text message. He goes, oh, man, I guess you're right. You just people just don't think because we're so conditioned and used to, but like, mm-hmm. and we got to have insurance. I got to have it. Yep. And so. You know, that's just an example. But yeah, let's get into solutions. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of them, DCP, direct primary uh, care. We've meant, uh, you just talked about the healthcare ministry. That's something that I've, I've been looking at now being self-employed and looking at, hey, what are some solutions? My family, we never go to the hospital unless it's an emergency. Yeah. And we go to functional medicine docs. The kids go to chiropractors. We just do regular maintenance, things like that. But if something comes up, I do want to be able to yes. seek someone good and Pay whatever is appropriate. So, yeah. yeah, what are some good solutions that we can start looking at? So, first of all, chapter six in my book is is where the fix comes in. And and the opening at the top of the chapter, which is a quote from me, it says this. The best health insurance that we have is not some kind of policy that we can buy. It's how we take care of ourselves. I mean, period. There, there is no ifs, ands, ors, or buts about it. That's the best health insurance we have. And when you look at what mostly is paid for by health insurance nowadays. They're chronic diseases created by people's lifestyles. Type 2 diabetes. You're talking about two pharmacists, Janet and I, we do not believe in medication to treat type 2 diabetes. Of course, if you follow the money on type 2 diabetes, it's a big moneymaker for the healthcare systems. I mean, I, I think that a doctor can, can have, uh, for Medicare, for instance, I think a doctor can see those patients once a month. Do you think most of those doctors do see them once a month, whether they need to or not? Of course they do. And just check it off the box and you would make more money. Of course. Absolutely. So um, I was doing really quick. I was doing a lot of weight loss coaching and uh, a lot of holistic uh, coaching. And uh, I had, uh, you know, I always tell, I would always tell clients, I'm like, man, I wish I had. In-. I'm like, you think I'm charging a lot for health coaching? I'm like, I-, I wish I had invented this prescription subscription model that the Western model has invented. Like, and they actually tell you this. Hey, if you type 2 diabetes, which you just said, lifestyle disease and uh, obesity. I wish I could actually tell my clients on the phone, hey, so you're going to sign up with me. It's going to be for the next 30 years. I'm going to charge you 30 bucks a month or whatever it is, right? And uh, I, I got, guess what? I'm not going to guarantee you're going to get better. Actually, you'll probably get worse. Um, so I'm not even going to guarantee results, but just stick with me and um, 
that's 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 my offer. I'm like, could you imagine as a coach me saying that? That's what they're doing, and they're profiting it, and they put you yep. in the subscription model for 30 years. I, I'm telling you, I'm gonna get you better in eight weeks, 12 yep. weeks. Um, anyways, yeah. exactly. I mean, it, that's a great example. I love it, and and you know, I believe that healthcare is is just like any other industry. It is is a commodity like any other industry, um, and you know what we're doing is you just look. If if people think that that health insurance is the answer and that it's a good model, just look at our system. Look at the people that access the system. You know, people aren't getting better. Type 2 diabetes is an epidemic in this country. And even for, for, for kids, it's horrible. And cardiovascular disease, largely due from type 2 diabetes and obesity, is, is horrible. Those are the people that are that are accessing healthcare and that are that are benefiting off this good insurance system. I, you know what, Joel? When I when I do go into those places because on a business relationship or whatever, and I see those people, it's like I don't want to be them. Mm. I'm not going to be 52 years old, crunched over and in a in a uh, walking with a walker in a wheelchair because I've been obese for the last 20 years of my life. No way. And my doctor did nothing to fix it. And as as healthcare professionals, we just need to start being honest with people instead of saying, oh, well, yeah, you've got, you know, oh, yeah, I get it. You're 33 years old and you have type 2 diabetes. But, you know, here, take this drug and it'll low, help lower your glucose. Uh, Ma'am, you're probably about 100 pounds overweight. You really need to put the fork down and you really need to start exercising. Let's just start saying it. But, you know, we, we've glamorized obesity. Um, we've normalized obesity. And um, when in reality, we should talk about how dangerous it is. And let's just be honest. I mean, Janet loves to give examples of, you know, if you take your dog to the vet and your dog is overweight, your vet doesn't need to do any fancy labs, do any fancy imaging. Your, dog will, your, your vet will look at that dog and say, what are you feeding this guy? Well, you know, you need to stop. You need to start feeding him something different. He's overweight and his joints are going to hurt. He's going to get type 2 diabetes. That's what. It, why can't we say that as humans? Oh, no, we wouldn't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, you know what? I do it because I love people and I want them to be healthy. Um, that, that's why it's, it has nothing to do with fat shaming. It's just about being honest and you want people to be healthy. Beyond that, we have con- I love what you said. We have conditioned and normalized Everything beyond the obesity, uh, and I'll give you the example just of like, oh, um, I'm 40 years old, so it's okay that I have arthritis. It's okay I have osteoporosis. It's okay that my my knees. Uh, I need two knee. I two knee knee surgeries. No, you don't. And I and I mean the 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 human body is was designed in uh, and amazing, and your bones should be lasting at least a hundred years. <laughs> you don't need most of these surgeries, but we've normalized this idea of like. 50 years old is old and that's when you retire and then that is and you're you're supposed to be getting these aches and pains screw that you're not supposed to be getting most of these things you're not things happen injuries from sports i get all that tibia fractures but it's not normal and 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 that has been conditioned in our mind that oh i i'm 40 i should start feeling these aches and pains i say none of that i'm like i'm 40 i just turned 41 i go i'm, I'm in the greatest i'm better my mind is in better shape than i was when i was 25 so yeah. um that's the attitude and i think people need to uh, you know, know that. So couldn't agree more with you. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's get into some solutions. Um, and a couple of them that you mentioned already. So, um, number one is, um, I'm walking away. This is good for me. Like in my audience, like I'm walking away from healthcare, screw insurance. I'm Sean sold me like, what do I, what are some of the steps I can start doing? So the first step is, is you need to take charge of your own health. Um, and that, that includes, um, you know, just, just 
look at yourself as you're the best health insurance that you have. Yep. And so, you know, um, commit to pro health. That, that's number one. And, and that is, it's, no, it's number one for a reason because it is the most important. Because if you, if you take care of yourself, you're not going to, unless you jump a canal and break your tibia, you're not going to need to access the system very much. Yeah. Now, I do think that you need to have plans in place if you do. And another one of those steps is um, a health sharing ministry. So Janet and I, there's many of them out there. Um, and you know, and just can you ask? Uh, can I ask you like what's a general price that people can expect to pay for some of these health sharing ministries? Right. So Janet and I um, pay $170 a month for both of us. You know, very affordable. Uh, and if I pay for, I'm sorry, I cut you off again. If I pay 170 bucks a month. That's kind of like almost having like I can go get regular checkups. I can have emergency room visits. Is that kind of like the coverage typically for those kind of prices? All of them are a little bit different. So you have to check out which best, what is best for you. The one that um, Christian Healthcare, the one that we're a member of, it has three different plans, gold, silver, bronze. We were in the bronze plan, and here's one of the reasons why. We were at Samaritan Ministries for a while. We were paying about 400 bucks a month. And um, it worked out great for us. My son's broken wrist got taken care of them. Um, but then my my brother was using Christian healthcare, and he said, "Well, no, I I do, I do this bronze plan, and um, you know it's X Y Z a month. I think at the time for his whole family, it's one hundred thirty five dollars a month. Wow, that's yeah. incredible, right? And it doesn't add that much to add kids because you know kids in general should be pretty healthy. So, um, so." Here's why I moved to Christian healthcare, and another reason why I don't like traditional healthcare. One of the things in our traditional healthcare system, when you pay for uh, a traditional health plan, whether it be through your employer, and if the, if they're paying it, they are taking away from your wages. Period. You could make more money if you know. And that's another thing is you know employees. That's another fix is employees should negotiate with their employer. Hey, I don't really want this healthcare. Can you pay me more money? I mean, employers should stop paying for healthcare. I read that in your book and it blew my mind. Yeah. I, and I'll tell you why. At SFPD where I used to work, uh, they would actually show how much they paid in healthcare. $36,000 they would pay. And in my head, I would just, I would laugh because I was like, I never go to the hospital. I don't even want this, but I didn't know how to get out of the system. Yeah. And so right. I was just thinking, man, yeah. I would no, no. actually give me the 36,000 or give me 15K. Exactly. I'll, put, I'll put it in the health. Um, <laughs> right. There's HSAs and you could, exactly. and, they, and they're like Roth IRAs. They actually accumulate. In, I mean, anyways, yeah. Yeah. yeah Such yeah, a no, great solution. Right. I love this. And, and it is, it's, uh, now here's one of the things is I think it's got to, it's got to start with baby steps, you know? So, you know, going to negotiate with the San Francisco Police Department is going to be more difficult than, you know, your local employer that that employs twenty people and say, hey, hey, Joe, you know that thirty six thousand dollars a year you're paying? Why don't you just give me? Don't pay it, and you just give me fifteen grand. I'll be happy, and I'll do what I what I want with it. Yeah. You know, and then by health sharing ministry, put in an HSA. Yep. Um. So yeah, the the HSA. So here's one of the things is like traditional health insurance, at least in Washington State. I don't know all the states. You have to pay everybody pays for maternity coverage. So even if you're 50 years old, like Janet and I, one of the reasons that premiums are expensive because maternity coverage is included, which also includes um, breastfeeding supplies after maternity and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're, we're not of childbearing age. We don't want that. Yeah. That's one of the things that we like about Christian healthcare is on the bronze plan, there's no maternity coverage. We're 50 years old. We don't need maternity coverage. Beautiful. You know, yeah. right. And, and, you know, having a baby, unfortunately, that's a topic for a whole other podcast, is expensive these days. That's largely because of health insurance and hospitals. Um, but, 
you know, we, we don't need that. So that's one of the, that's another way where we save probably about three to $400 a month on our health stream ministry. Cause we want that gold plan. I think it'd be like four to $500 a month mm-hmm. instead of one seventy. Um, but that that's where we save it because and we so and we don't have dental coverage. We don't need dental coverage. If you talk to your average dentist, dental coverage is a waste of money. Um, we don't have vision coverage. Obviously, we don't have we don't have prescription coverage because we know that as pharmacists, we know that most prescription medications are a waste of money. They're lifestyle diseases. Well, type two diabetes drugs are expensive. Yeah, you shouldn't have them. You, you don't need them. Change your diet and you won't have type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people say, well, insulin this, well, I get a type 1 diabetics need insulin, but not type 2. And um, it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, change your lifestyle. You know, so most drugs are pennies a day, pennies a day, you know, so. Really quick for dentists, because that actually, selfish question for me, I was looking at that. We, we went to biological dentists and stuff in the past. And my insurance would cover. They, of course, the this is back when I worked in San Francisco. Uh, biological dentist was who I would go see, and they the insurance wouldn't cover that. Of course, yeah. I, and I actually had to like file like I'm like he's a because like he's a bio. I forget the exact codes and stuff. They ended up covering like forty bucks or something. I got him to at least cover that, but it was ridiculous. But do we have are there solutions for 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 dentists too like someone like me i don't know what the costs are for some dentists my kids have had uh one of my oldest has had some history of teeth issues so i know that could be a problem does christian health ministry cover stuff like that or that or I, what do you do you just I, pay I, out of pocket and go well i mean so in general dentistry especially if you work with a dentist it, you give a good example it's like you know with health insurance how many times do you go into some you know, some, something and it's not covered anyway. It's like I pay all this money and it's not covered anyway. That that's, that's the case a lot of times. So, um, we had a dentist on our podcast uh, a few years ago and I mean, he said it. It's coming from a dentist. He says, no, in general, health insurance for dentistry is a waste of money. You're just better off paying cash. I mean, even if you, you know, cause all of a sudden that I'm making up numbers. That three thousand dollar root canal is only twelve hundred bucks. You're paying cash. Well, if you think the average dental insurance is two hundred dollars a month, all you got to do is not have yep. a root canal for one year, and you can pay for the root canal. So I'm all about. I want the cash to do what I so want. So dentists, you could, that they operate that way too. You can just pay cash. I, I, and f- find one. Beautiful. Okay. Yes, and, yeah. and and ask them what's the price. And if they don't know the price, go somewhere else. Excellent. You know, dentists I love that. are pretty good about cash pricing because. They haven't really been hijacked by the insurance as much as traditional medicine has, mm. partly because there's no Medicare benefit for dentistry. So although that might have been changed recently, I don't know. But um, in general, it's easier to get cash prices for dentists because they know that stuff. Okay. So and, and they'll give you good discounts too. And if they don't, go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's like shopping for a car. <laughs> I mean, just, you know. And that's <laughs> the point of your book too is that and – I, and I love it. And, and I think that's uh, another take-home point. Other than take care of yourself, which is huge – you mentioned, and I think people would say, yeah, but Sean, like, you're, I don't want to pay for my own care. And then you give these good examples. You're like, that's not true. Uh, cosmetic surgery is paid all out of pocket, and that's a booming industry. Um, you give another example. I'm actually drawing a blank. L- LASIK eye LASIK. surgery. LASIK. I had LASIK. I was laughing yeah. when you said that. I'm like, yeah, and I had to right? pay 5K, and um, it was my own money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and but I mean, think about this, Joel. I, I guarantee you, if LASIK eye surgery was mostly covered by insurance, it'd be fifty thousand dollars, and the service would be worse, and the quality would be worse. Hundred percent. But when you look at what's happened with, I, I like to give breast augmentation because it's one of the most popular plastic surgeries. 
you know, when it started out in the 1960s, in the 1960s dollars, it was $30,000. Well, now I think you can get, you know, a breast enlargement for like $5,000. And, and, and the surgery is way better than it used to be. That's not what's happened in traditional healthcare. The, the, the service doesn't get any better. The quality doesn't get any better. And the price gets higher. I mean, seriously, because there's no incentive to keep the price down. There's no incentive to make the quality go up because they've got guaranteed customers. Well, I don't have to worry about quality. I've got these guaranteed Medicare customers. Somebody else is paying the bill. I don't need to really, I don't really need to worry about what the, cons- what the consumer's experience is. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. Um, I want to wrap things up. Yep. Any um, anything we didn't anything we missed or anything else that you wanted to share? No, I, I think we got it all. We covered it all. I mean, it, this is just a subject that I have a passion for, and um, you know, I, I love sharing the, the stories, and I just love educating and empowering individuals to take charge of their own health. That that's the most important part of this is that people can take charge of their own health, and it'll be l- way less expensive in the long run. One of the things that my wife often says is like, you know, even if you are paying. Um, cash for some services it's like um, you either pay now or you pay later yep so you know you do the hard work now and it'll be a lot less or it'll be a lot more expensive later yep agreed Um, we'll wrap things up and then I want to jump into some final round questions I'd like to ask all my guests but before I do any exciting projects that you're working on anything you got up on the horizon um no, I, I, I want to continually, you know, grow our podcast, um, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, and, um, you know, get guests on there, whether it be, you know, we talk about everything healthcare. Um, so for the politics of healthcare, which has been big over the last three years, obviously, um, you know that very well, yeah, yeah. Um, um, to, to educate and empowering individuals to take charge of their own health with, with diet, with exercise, with sleep. I mean, all, all those things are important. So that's, that's what we continue, wanted to continue, continue to, to grow that. Yeah. Love it, man. Um, all right. Some final round questions. I'm curious, and I, maybe the, you already answered it, but what, what are some choices or maybe a choice that you think you made that made you who you are today? Well, I think one thing is, you know, we were, I think we were talking either last night driving or maybe on the way over to your house this morning. Um, you know, one thing I taught my kids from very young age is the most important decision you will ever make in your life besides, um, you know, believing in Christ is to pick your spouse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the most important decision I ever made. I, you know, Jan and I started dating in 1993 and that was definitely the most important decision I ever made. And it's, 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 it's helped us to create a wonderful life. Two handsome, big boys, <laughs> men. And, um, you know, we love it. And, we, you know, we, we, we really feel that our path in pharmacy um, is our purpose. And we have a big passion for educating people to, to take charge of their own health. Yeah, well, so true. Um, who is you guys are doing so much in the health and wellness world? I'm just curious, like who inspires you? Who inspires me in the health and wellness world? You know, I mean, so many people. Um, you know, and I will say, I, I mean, that might even change daily. Daily might be uh, extreme, but you know, um, I've I've learned a lot from Sean Baker. You know, Sean Baker's a few years older than me. He eats carnivore only. Um, he he inspires me partly because he was a doctor who was ostracized for doing the right thing and you know janet and i get a lot of pushback and get called crazy and conspiracy theory and you know how can you how can you guys call yourself pharmacists and you don't believe in medications to treat disease well because 
that's not what really fixes the disease, you know. So Sean Baker's been inspiring, but but so many, you know. Um, yeah. Dr. Peter McCullough has been very inspiring. He's Dr. Scott Jensen been very inspiring. They both have had, you know, hits against their license during COVID for doing the right thing for their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, Dr. Keith Smith, Dr. Keith Smith for sure. Um, he's, he's the doctor you mentioned out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. yeah okay. And he is very inspiring. You know, about the same time, he was, he is a little bit before us when it comes to a pioneer in free market medicine. You know, Janet and I haven't built insurance at our pharmacy for the reason we talked about for over 20 years. And when we did that, I mean, there were people that thought we were crazy, our colleagues, our employees, our, our family and friends. And I mean, here we are, you know, 20 plus years later, and we're, we're not only surviving, but we're thriving. And Right after we kind of made that decision, I saw a, I was watching a John Stossel program. You know, John Stossel's a big free market guy, and he was interviewing Keith Smith from the Surgeon of Oklahoma 20 years ago. Mm. And I'm like, hey, Janet, check this out. I mean, here's this guy from the surgery center, you know, and he's going cash only. He's getting out of insurance. I mean, we're not the only crazy ones. And, and now he's doing well. And, you know, so that's very inspiring. I've got a lot of people that have inspired yeah. us in, 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 our, in our journey through healthcare. I'm a big reader. Is there like a top one to three books that y- you read or that maybe maybe there's one, maybe there's three? I- I'm just curious, like that impacted your life a lot and you're like, man, you got to go out and read these. Um, Marty, Ma- uh, Marty McCacken, um, he's a physician and he wrote a book called, it's either Overpriced or Overcharged. And it, it basically goes into deeper from a doctor's standpoint about what I said about our healthcare system and it just talks about the racket that's been created for, you know, you know, just the overcharging. Um, that, that's, that's a great one. And he's wrote, I think it, at least two books. I can't remember the names of the other ones, but just look him up as an author. And, um, that's, that's a great read. Okay, cool. Last two questions. We'll wrap it up. Any rituals or hacks or practices or anything that you do on a regular basis? Um, I don't like calling them hacks because I think uh, there's no easy way, you know, as you know, as a health and wellness coach. Yeah. But I will say, you know, I talked about sleep, exercise, and diet. And um, the most important of all those is sleep. Mm. And um, you know this from being, uh, I, I imagine you were a shift worker when you were a police officer. Um, we're meant to sleep at night. Um, we are diurnal creatures. We're meant to sleep at night and get at least eight hours of sleep a night. I, I, that, that is, yes, that is more important than exercise and it's more important than diet. We will die without sleep before we'll die without food. And we don't have to exercise to stay alive. You know, we'll, we'll obviously be healthier, but exercise is the least important. And so many people think that they can exercise their way out of poor sleep habits or poor or poor dietary habits and you can't, you know, and, and they think, you know, they see somebody in, in good shape like you are and they think, well, man, he must spend, you know, 12 hours in the gym a week. Probably not. <laughs> I imagine you spend Ten, four or five. Since I had two kids, I've, I, I, this is what I've been promoting for the last year and a half and just trying to yell is like, I work out 10, 20 minutes a day, five, six days a week, but, I, but I'm consistent about it. Yeah. And I tell people, if you understand how to trigger testosterone and growth hormone, which I know you do, then you can you can do that too, and and but it's about the consistency. I think is the the huge aspect, and people just can't. They're like, no way, you work out ten minutes a day. I'm like, I had yep. to figure out strategies because yep. when my kids were born, the jujitsu membership went away, the CrossFit membership yep. went away. I couldn't go thirty minutes to the gym, spend an hour there, then another thirty back. I didn't have the time, and so I had to design these own strategies. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, and yeah. but 
you you watch your diet. I watch my diet. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, people don't realize how... And I should say, though, I watch it, but um, I'm not perfect. And my wife uses good ingredients. We probably have like some little dessert or something after dinner every night, um, but it's like a clean dessert. And uh, I mean, my blood work looks good. And yeah, overall, we're, we're pretty darn healthy. So yeah. again, I'm, I try to espouse this. It's be- because I'm taking care of 97% of everything else that you've mentioned. I can get away with doing some yeah. of these, having a little chocolate bar here and there. It's yeah. not going to kill me. So, no. yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last question. Where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about your book, learn more about your podcast, and just connect with you? Yeah. So my book is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Um, Joel's got a signed copy there. Um, that's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon Paperback. It's available on Kindle, and it's available on audio now. And... Um, our podcast is Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Um, you can find it in all the uh, – uh, we have a YouTube channel, uh, but you can also find it in all the podcast forums. Um, also, our pharmacy, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, MLRX.com. If you go to that website, where there's a link to our podcast and a link to my book also. So Amazing. Sean Needham, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you, Thank brother. Thank you, Joel. Thanks so much for having me.